0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. It's that time of the year where the tournament is finally upon us. College basketball takes center stage. BetOnline is the number one spot for bets, odds, information, and the 2022 college basketball bracket contest. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit Using the promo code Bleave B L E A V to get started today. Bet Online where the game starts. Good. on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live, because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is March 18th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in. However and whenever you may be listening, we have a fun, fun show coming at you. We are going to talk about anything and everything that happened On March Madness Day 1, in fact, at the time recording of this, my SDSU San Diego State Aztecs, shout out to them, grew up near there, Kawhi Leonard, San Diego State, that was the team of my childhood that had any monicum of success, they just got done playing against Creighton, I guess it's like close to the end, but anyways, that's what's going on as we're recording, we'll get to that in a second, but we begin with The NFL, because even on the two days of the year that March Madness is a national holiday for myself, or at least that's what I said when I was a child when I was incredibly insecure and put way too much emotional investment in sports, even so, the NFL can win the day by having news that Devontae Adams is going to the Las Vegas Raiders. Bam, 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 bam. Breaking news, breaking news. Devontae Adams is going to the Raiders in what we know right now is a first-round pick and an additional 2022 draft pick going to the Green Bay Packers. Devontae Adams got $28 million, say it with me, and twenty-eight million dollars is the cost of Devontae Adams, plus a first-round pick and a second-round pick I'm looking at right now. A first and a second-rounder for Devontae Adams, that is pretty damn remarkable and also probably not going to age great for the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm just judging based on historical precedent here, is that not just that a 29-year-old receiver is getting $150 million and is it cost two premium draft picks to acquire him? It's not just that, it's also the fact that it's the Raiders and the Packers doing deals with each other. Just general guess is that the Packers are probably going to do well in that deal. So, yeah, the Raiders just gave up the farm to acquire. Devontae Adams, who we talked about with Blake Jude, like he's one of those players that is on the fringe of a game changing NFL player. It's just that Devontae Adams plays a position that is incredibly dependent on the quarterback that he plays with. We talk all the time about the wide receiver position and how outside of like a couple of elite talents whether it be odell beckham jr when he first got in the league or antonio brown julio jones who i still attest that if julio jones had played anything he would have been a hall of famer at just he chose to be a wide receiver in the nfl his body type is just that unique like other than a couple of those examples it's hard to differentiate people five through 20 say at the wide receiver position you can do some nitpicking especially like five to twelve and then 13 to 20, but in the middle of top wide receivers, it's really hard to differentiate who is the best and who isn't. Stefan Diggs was regarded as a very good wide receiver, maybe even a great wide receiver, and then he goes to Buffalo and upgrades quarterback from Case Keenum and Teddy Bridgewater and one year of Kirk Cousins to getting Josh Allen, and all of a sudden, Stefan Diggs is one of the two, three best receivers in the NFL, according to most people's logic there and by the way the Vikings also get Justin Jefferson and I still attest that swapping Stefan Diggs for Justin Jefferson will go down as one of the most equal trades in the history of the NFL and so the Green Bay Packers find themselves in a position where they are going through a similar type of situation with Devontae Adams according to Ian Rappaport Aaron Rodgers knew no chance Devontae Adams was going to continue playing with the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers still signed up to play for the Green Bay Packers, which of course he would still sign up to play for the Green Bay Packers in that situation because Aaron Rodgers was getting the $50 million and it still makes the best football sense. Like with or without Devontae Adams, we always knew there was a possibility of his future was going to be tied to the decision of Aaron Rodgers. And they knew he was going to be franchise tagged in the first place and they knew there was no chance he was going to play a game on the franchise tag because, again, He is a 29-year-old receiver, which is two years older than Odell Beckham for people keeping track at home. He is two years older than Odell Beckham. And it is a really precarious situation that he found himself in, which is, I need to guarantee the dollars now. It's the same situation of labor versus management that we talked about with Kyler Murray. Sorry, by the way, Odell Beckham, also 29 years old. Uh, There's something I like to call the age 27 or I'm sorry the age 29 curve where Antonio Brown started to decline at 29 Odell Beckham had declined by 29 we're seeing DeAndre Hopkins start to decline a little bit by 29 years old and wide receivers similar to running backs once you lose that extra step it can sometimes be incredibly difficult for wide receivers to play it's why we call those skill positions And the Raiders were operating from a place of desperation, obviously, but Devontae Adams is still one of the best receivers in the NFL right now, and right now he's going to make the Raiders better. This is a similar situation that we've talked about in the past with other star-caliber players, and not Russell Wilson and not Deshaun Watson and not Aaron Rodgers. If we think about tangible trades of this amount of value, we're talking about trading a first round pick and a second round pick in an NFL draft, which is essentially the equivalent value of two first round picks. It's not exactly, but it's close to the value of two first round picks, which is what I wanted to talk about with other such trades. Odell Beckham in 2018 was traded from the Browns or from the Giants to the Browns for Jabril Peppers who was one year removed from being a first round pick and an extra first round pick that ended up becoming Dexter Lawrence. Jalen Ramsey was traded for two lower level first round picks. Jamal Adams was traded for two lower level first round picks. These are the types of trades that uh, also we could throw in the Raiders trading Khalil Mack for two first round picks. And yes, most of those trades didn't result in any success for those other teams, but the other teams made such trades Because they were on the precipice of bottoming out. That's not the case that Green Bay finds themselves in, and it's not the case that the Raiders find themselves in right now. The Raiders are not in the position that the Bears were in in 2018. The Raiders are not in the position that the Rams were when they acquired Jalen Ramsey. The Raiders are not in the position that the Browns were even when they acquired Odell Beckham Jr., which is the closest comp you can make to this trade in NFL history, like trading. Two premium draft picks for a wide receiver. Odell Beckham from the Giants to the Browns is the closest comp you can get in this situation. And so this benefits the Packers based on what they can flip those picks back into. Now maybe the Packers decide that this is where they retool in their system and Brian Gutekunst is like, Uh, Chris Ballard as like most people like to call him little goody little goody for the Packers is similar to Chris Ballard where they trust themselves in doing the draft evaluation but the more likely scenario is that they flip that into a premium wide receiver and I'm not exactly sure who it is or how they're going to go that route but one of the possibilities is, hey, Aaron Rodgers is looking for a number one. Who wants to try and work their way behind the scenes to get here? And that's an incredibly interesting situation for a number of reasons. The, the number one of which is like, if you're Juju Smith-Schuster, you're probably not going to be the number one receiver on the Green Bay Packers. At the same time, you have an opportunity to rebuild an entire wide receiver core if you are the Packers. And more specifically, if you are Aaron Rodgers. Because Aaron Rodgers has quietly famously, I'm just not going to say like everyone knows it, but Aaron Rodgers can ice out receivers that he doesn't have rapport with. Lots of, I mean, um, Is it Greg Jennings or Donald Driver? I think it's Greg Jennings who goes and talks about this all the time. But Equinemius St. Brown had a similar type of situation with Rodgers. Is that Rodgers can ice out receivers that he doesn't build rapport with. And so Rodgers has a unique opportunity to build his receiving core. And there's no... This is the argument we have in the NBA all the time about the player empowerment side of these issues. There is no reason to believe that... Aaron Rodgers is qualified to build out a receiving core. And at the same time, Aaron Rodgers has a blank slate to handpick players that he wants to play for the Green Bay Packers and who he wants to throw passes to. And that's an incredibly interesting situation, especially for a team that we know is really good. Now, the Packers might be really good just because they have Aaron Rodgers, but they're looking at a situation right now where they have Randall Cobb. Alan Lazard, Amari Rodgers in the third round last year, and nothing really else. And Alan Lazard, as much as I picked my, predicated my entire 2020 conference championship pick on Alan Lazard being able to destroy the San Francisco 49ers, at the same time, the Green Bay Packers found themselves in a situation where Alan Lazard's not a number one. Amari Rodgers is not a number one, Randall Cobb is not a number one, and they don't even have Robert Tunyon right now. So this is an opportunity to build out your entire wide receiver core if you're Aaron Rodgers, which is totally unprecedented for a team that most people think is good enough to win right now. But the reason people think they're good enough to win right now is simply because they still have Aaron Rodgers playing at an MVP level and so what happens when Aaron Rodgers isn't playing at an MVP level and he's just playing at a very good level does that still elevate wide receivers around him I think very much so I think wide receivers that get enough targets and have rapport with Rodgers can have the same thing that happened to Devontae Adams where Devonte Adams wasn't really that good his first two seasons And then with time and chemistry developed with Aaron Rodgers became a much better wide receiver. And so I'm not exactly sure where the Packers go from here. It's just a unique opportunity for them to build out a receiving core. And they have infinite draft picks to do so. Like they might use the draft picks to replenish the farm system, which I put in air quotes because that's more of a baseball term than it is a football term. But they do have a chance to replenish pretty much everything at this point. And I don't know exactly what the best strategy to go about it is. Like, I'm just in my head thinking of the best wide receivers in the NFL and who you could go out and acquire, because a lot of the free agent wide receivers are gone at this point. And you can obviously go through the draft to get some people that work with Rodgers, which is incredibly fascinating if this is the year that they decide to draft Aaron Rodgers some skill position players. Because again, like we said, he has Randall Cobb, he has Amari Rogers, and he has Alan Lazard. And that's about it. (laughs) There's not really a whole lot else there. So they're going to sign somebody, I would assume. This was just a case of, and I think the simplest way to phrase this is, the Raiders valued Devontae Adams at $148 million, or sorry, $141 million plus... Two premium draft picks, which is essentially the same thing that the Bears gave up to acquire Khalil Mack three years ago, and even more than what the Browns gave up to acquire Odell Beckham in 2018. And if it works out, it works out. If it doesn't work out, you know, hush posh, the Raiders did the best they could. They're trying to compete in an impossible situation. I don't know if Devontae Adams transforms their franchise at that point because i don't think Devonte adams is that caliber player but i don't blame them for the decision that they made to try and do it if you're gonna go all in at least go all in in a player who played college football with their car and that receiver i mean it's happened a lot in the last few years that receiver rarely ever comes available Like, DeAndre Hopkins became available, and they gave him away for free. Okay, yes, that was also available. Odell Beckham came available, and that one didn't work out. That wide receiver type never really becomes available. And so if I'm the Raiders, I understand why they did it, because it's better than doing nothing, especially when you know that they're still probably the fourth team in the AFC West. But at the same time, the Packers just got every last bit out of Devontae Adams they could and by the way this might be the greatest time to play the last dance theme song that we've been playing all season with the Packers because Rodgers is so disgruntled with Green Bay Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. And so we have a standoff here that nobody knows exactly where it's going. He is not making this about money. He wants out of there and he's telling you there is no amount of money. We want him back in the worst way. I know he knows that. And, um... You know, we'll continue to work at it. The situation between the Green Bay Packers and Devonte Adams is not good. As far as this weekend, as far as training camp, we will see. There's been one message consistently coming out of Aaron Rodgers' camp, and and that's I don't want to be here. This whole season was the last dance. This was it. The Packers, as we presently knew them, this was it for them. And by the way, this is the normal cycle for even great NFL teams. Like, the Green Bay Packers have been to three consecutive conference championship games. They've won 39 games over the past nine seasons. Or sorry, 39 games over the past three seasons. If they win just 10 games next year, they will tie the Saints between 2017 and 2020 as the best record of a team that did not make it. To a Super Bowl and by the way the Packers still find themselves in a situation where they can get back to the exact same place because the NFC is an incredibly incredibly weak conference and football is incredibly incredibly random and as long as you have Aaron Rodgers you always have a chance but this was the whole point Rodgers was going to go or the last dance meant that Rodgers Adams and Tunyon they weren't going to be together forever And they decided that Adams was going to cash in, and the Packers were definitely not going to pay that contract the same way that the Giants weren't going to pay Odell's contract, the way that the Cowboys aren't paying Amari Cooper's contract, the way that the Texans weren't going to pay DeAndre Hopkins' contract. And also, Tunyon might be out the door, but Aaron Rodgers is like, I'll stay. Just because it's the last dance doesn't mean I have to go. It doesn't mean we have to tear it all the way to scratch. But we were all prepared for it to go all the way to the ground. And the world didn't stop for Aaron Rodgers in that situation. And by the way, Aaron Rodgers fully understood that. He's like, I'm still signing up for this team with or without Devontae Adams. Maybe it's because we knew the situation was there before, but also... I have no concerns with the idea that Aaron Rodgers can build another Devontae Adams like playing with Aaron Rodgers is going to elevate wide receivers now maybe you need to be already a base level of talented in order to become a star behind Aaron Rodgers like Chris Olave going to the Packers might be something that's giving a base level of talent, this will all be a matter of how Aaron Rodgers and Lil Goody think about building a wide receiver core, because they got a chance to build this thing from scratch, they've got Cobb in place, they've got Amari Rodgers in place, and they've got Alan Lazard in place, they're all nice little pieces, they have great, or I don't know about Amari Rodgers, but Lazard and Cobb are people who have Aaron Rodgers has spoken incredibly highly of in the past. And they have an incredibly interesting situation to build a team from scratch. And that is really, really fascinating because they have the resources available. They got multiple draft picks. They got insane value for Devontae Adams. Like, twenty, essentially $28 million in cap space, if you want to view it from that prism. is $28 million they're not giving to Devontae Adams is $28 million in freed cap space. And two premium draft picks. The Packers now have four draft picks in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. Now, do they also need an edge rusher? Absolutely. They still need an edge rusher. Do they need a middle linebacker? Yes, they do need a middle linebacker. And also, the Green Bay Packers can build an absolute wagon of a receiving core for Aaron Rodgers. And I don't know exactly what relationship the packers front office and rogers have in terms of how much sway rogers has on decision making and whether they conceded power instead of money in this situation to rogers i'm not exactly sure what the nature of their relationship is but i include both of them together because i don't know how much power they've conceded to aaron Rodgers within the organization by signing that contract extension but if you take them together maybe it's like a Chiefs situation where the Chiefs asked Patrick Mahomes who he wanted to take, and he said Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and they took Clyde Edwards-Alaire at pick 32. They already knew they wanted a skill position player. They wanted to confer with the quarterback. Maybe it's a situation like that with Rodgers, or maybe Rodgers has a say, you know, maybe Rodgers has a say on the specific player they pick at specific spots. I'm not exactly sure how much power he's been given in roster building, so I'm just prefacing that by saying, Lil Goody And Matt Lefleur and Aaron Rodgers, they are in an incredibly unique position where they are a team ready-made to win now and have a chance to build a receiving core from scratch with infinite resources at their disposal. Or not necessarily infinite resources, more than enough resources to be able to build one hell of a wide receiving core. And one, by the way, that saves them resources they can put to other places in the roster construction of the team. So this is essentially the Packers doing the last dance thing, which is they went all in for last season. It was what Aaron Rodgers wanted when he built the team. Even though we don't know Aaron Rodgers or know what he wanted, clearly they wanted to get Randall Cobb, spend a bunch of money, and move around the salary cap to build around that one season. And now they're in a unique position where they can retool Pretty much everything. And you know how much cap space the Packers have now? The fifth most of any team in the NFL. And that's a super fascinating situation for them to find themselves in because that is near infinite resources to build themselves one hell of a team. And by the way, they can clear more if they trade jordan love but they're not going to trade jordan love because jordan love is still a pretty cheap backup quarterback option given they shouldn't have used a first round pick on him he's still a pretty cheap backup quarterback option that they'll hang on to for the time being because they can't really get great value for him but regardless they got 28 million dollars five picks in the first two days of the draft and draft picks in 2023 that still hold value they have near infinite resources to build one hell of a team for next season While they still have the team relatively young and most of the core pieces, whether that's Jair Alexander, Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, the defense, Devondre Campbell, Preston Smith, (laughs) Kenny Clark. While all those dudes are still playing for the Green Bay Packers, they can build themselves one hell of a team with a two-time reigning MVP at quarterback while he's still playing like a two-time reigning MVP. And that's super fascinating because I'm not sure we've seen a situation exactly like this ever in the NFL, which is a team looking at this and saying, um, you know, similarly to what we talked about with the Colts, sustainability more important to us right now than the all in move. We're going to build a sustainable winner over the next four years, or we're going to build a sustainable second round exit. Regardless, we're going to make the right move similarly to the process versus the results action and by the way I think it's probably going to work out well for the Packers only on the hedge of I don't think Devontae Adams is worth 28 million dollars per year and two premium draft picks could be wrong doubt it especially as he moves into his 30s probably not the case and I just trust the Packers will make... As much as I don't trust the Packers as an organization because they don't really have great leadership and they've failed Aaron Rodgers at every turn. They do have a pretty good general manager. And they do have a pretty good uh, head coach, I think, maybe. And the Raiders have been marred by incompetence across the last 20 years. Odds are pretty good that that one's going to work in favor of the Green Bay Packers, although I could be wrong. We'll see what ends up happening there. Packers got near-infinite resources to build a pretty damn good receiving core, though. I'll be interested to see what they end up doing here. Rogers is so disgruntled with Green Bay Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. And so we have a standoff here that nobody knows exactly where it's going. He is not making this about money. He wants out of there and he's telling you there is no amount of money. We want him back in the worst way. I know he knows that. And, um... You know, we'll continue to work at it. The situation between the Green Bay Packers and Devontae Adams is not good. As far as this weekend, as far as training camp, we will see. There's been one message consistently coming out of Aaron Rodgers' camp, and and that's, I don't want to be here. Woo! March Madness is back, ladies and gentlemen and non-binary peoples alike. I hope you enjoyed whatever you got out of March Madness on Thursday. I didn't watch really any college basketball this year. I was very vocal about the fact I didn't watch any college basketball this year. Uh, Again, I usually used sports as a child as a little bit of a crutch to uh, be a little socially awkward and socially naive. I put a lot of emotional investment in sports, and last year I kind of did the same thing in the heart of the pandemic and You know, this year I had other things going on in my life, so college basketball fell to the wayside a bit. But these two days are still like holidays where you can wake up at 9 a.m. West Coast time and there will be Michigan playing Colorado State and South Dakota State versus Providence on your television. So, yeah, we had a fun day of college basketball, which was a slow beginning and then just anarchy in the end of the day. We'll get to that in a second the first thing I'd like to circle back to is talking about something that happened on Wednesday but was technically Thursday if you count it East Coast time. The game ended at 12:02 East Coast time. Rutgers and Notre Dame, aka Notre Shame or whatever else you want to do to talk about Notre Dame, which drapes itself in religion and thinks they're better than everyone else and, you know, all the things that are fun to make fun of. You know how I say we like starting beefs around here with Uh, People who think higher of themselves, but are way lower to expectations. Notre Dame's a good one. The Chicago Bears are a good one. Giants, Broncos, high expectations, low performances. It means we get to be right more often than we get to be wrong. And if their fan bases get defensive, it makes it even better. So... Notre Dame is in that camp. Chicago Bears, New York Giants, Denver Broncos, Carolina Panthers, you're getting there slowly but steadily. I know you think you guys are a little bit of losers, but Carolina, you're getting a little defensive. Pac 12, Pac 12 is so good to make fun of because those fan bases are Conference of Champions assholes. So great to make fun of the Pac 12. We're not going to point out the fact that every single Mountain West team lost in the first day of the tournament, but. Notre Dame's another one of those, but Notre Dame gets the last laugh on this one because they eliminated our beautiful, glorious, anarchist Rutgers team. But you know what? If Rutgers is going to lose, Rutgers needs to go out exactly the way that Rutgers went out on Wednesday, and that is the first double overtime game in four years in March Madness, the first double overtime first four game ever. In March Madness, Rutgers having a gigantic lead, blowing a gigantic lead, going to overtime and going to double overtime and just being the absolute anarchist, glorious Rutgers Scarlet Knights basketball team that we all fell in love with this year. And the reason we fell in love with Rutgers is because Rutgers is the worst athletic program of any team in any sport. Well, I guess it's college sports, but they are the worst Across all sports, they are the worst major conference athletic bu- athletic program that exists. We talked about it with Razor 16 years ago. They had one team that won 10 college football games, and they haven't done shit in my entire lifetime. In fact, they've been a punchline of trying to hire Greg Schiano and failing to hire Greg Schiano. I believe they were the athletic program that had their athletic director show up drunk and curse at a uh, rally event. I believe that is the correct program. I think it was like five years ago. Someone can fact check that one. I think that's the thing that exists. And they were just never made the tournament in my entire lifetime. Never had a good football team in my entire lifetime. They were as bad as Kansas at football for the longest time didn't make the tournament for 15 years but last year they made it to the tournament and they won a tournament game and they were up 20 against houston in the second round and they blew a 20 point lead and the glorious rutgers basketball team was back this year and in glorious anarchist fashion they just flamed out spectacularly in the first round of the tournament so as much as i wanted to pick rutgers to make it to the second round And the third round. I I thought they would make it to the the round of 32. It was fun while it lasted. Thank you for providing us that content, Rutgers. Hopefully your coach will come on the podcast. I've put in a request. Hopefully your coach will come on the podcast. Ron Harper Jr., also apparently the star player on Rutgers. Just learned that. It's kind of funny. It's kind of like how... uh, What's his name? Scotty Pippen's kid plays for Vanderbilt. Another shitty sports program. But at least they have a good baseball team. Rutgers doesn't have good anything. Rutgers is just in New Jersey, (laughs) being terrible at sports. So, okay, from the day that happened today. So we kicked off the day with Michigan beating Colorado State. Yay, picked that, bracket still alive. Then South Dakota State lost to Providence. Thought I had that one in the bag. Thought South Dakota State was going to make a comeback. Got it wrong. Whoopsies, bracket busted immediately at the beginning of the day. Everything else was kind of boring after that, although I will throw Richmond a nice little bone there. Richmond ended up upsetting Iowa. I know a lot of people picked Iowa to go deep in the tournament. I only had them going to the Sweet 16, so not as big of an L. But Richmond's one of those cool stories like Oregon State was last year, and it happens maybe once to one team a year where they just get ridiculously hot right before March Madness starts, and so they're a better team than their regular season suggests, which is part of the reason why regular season college basketball becomes a little bit irrelevant. But Richmond was that team this year. They were the sixth seed in the A-10 tournament. They won like three tournament games against Davidson and VCU and, I don't know, Rhode Island. Is Rhode Island still doing well in the A-10? Let's see how many A-10 teams I can name off the top of my head. So we got VCU, Rhode Island, St. Louis, uh, Dayton, Davidson, uh, who is the team we were just talking about? Richmond. They're there. George Washington University, George Mason University is there. That's eight. I know there's at least ten. Um who else is in the Atlantic ten? Uh they also have a weird television contract on NBC for some reason. It's like the only basketball that exists on NBC. It's kind of weird. Uh all right, let's see who I missed. St. Joseph's, forgot about St. Joseph's, Duquesne, Duquesne's always terrible, but Duquesne is there, oh, the Bonnies, St. Bonaventure, wow, they were bad this year, too bad, the Bonnies are sometimes a tournament team, uh, who else, Fordham, forgot Fordham, I thought they were in the Patriot League, anyways, Fordham, LaSalle, UMass, I think I got everyone else, uh, This is, is this another like Big 12 situation where there's 10 teams in the Big 12, it's what. 14 teams in the Atlantic 10 Uh, also not all of them are very Atlantic I just like to throw that out there I'm not going to be that person but not not very Atlantic in the A10 but anyways so yeah Richmond cool story they ran through their conference tournament the only reason they're in the tournament is because they won their conference tournament they got to be a 12 seed because the A10 is at least a moderately prestigious conference that puts multiple teams every year you know, VCU making that crazy run they had now 10 years ago, which makes me feel old as shit, that it was 10 years ago that VCU went to the Final Four with Shaka Smart. By the way, Shaka Smart got pummeled, pummeled by North Carolina. I didn't. I watch most games during the March Madness Day. Like, I catch a little bit of everything. I don't think I watched a single second of Marquette and North Carolina. Like, North Carolina just Pummeled Marquette. They were up twenty-five with the fifteen minutes into the game. They were up thirty at halftime. Like just pummeled Marquette. So Shaka Smart is now two jobs removed from VCU. And now uh anyways, VCU usually makes the tournament. Uh obviously Dayton would have made a tournament as a one seed if it hadn't gotten cancelled. The Bonnies are usually there, St. Louis is usually there. This year it happened to be Richmond. Richmond made the tournament. Davidson made the tournament. A-10 usually puts multiple teams. So Richmond got to be a 12 seed instead of like a 14 seed and Richmond pulled off an upset. So good job, Richmond. You get to be that anarchist team this year who pulls off that upset. I know I said I just wanted to show quick love there. Uh, I'm dumb for not picking Memphis because I forgot Memphis has like three top 25 prospects. Memphis... It would be so great if Memphis was like a dominant team. I think Memphis would be the one program that would capture our attention because Memphis is the team that is like aggressively giving the middle finger to the NCAA. Like they're the team that James Wiseman got suspended and they said, bleep you, we're just going to keep playing James Wiseman. And then he left college instead of trying to fight the NCAA. They paid Imani Bates a bunch of money to switch from Michigan State to their school. Uh, For people who don't know, we did a story two years ago on Imani Bates, who was college player of the year or sorry, high school player of the year as a junior in high school. So, you know, pretty damn good. Number one recruit in his class. He's going to get drafted, I think, next year because I think he's like technically still a senior in high school this year, but he's playing at Memphis by reclassifying Uh, He plays, like, a minutes restriction. But anyways, like, Memphis would be so fun if they were good at basketball. I know they were a nine seed this year, and they finally got to make the tournament. But if they could, you know, get it all... Like, if Memphis's top recruits all played and all tried, which they should not, by the way. Like, Memphis is essentially, like, one step above the G League Ignite right now. where like, Boogie Ellis, San Diego high school basketball legend when I was going to high school. Like, Boogie Ellis playing there and Imani Bates and James Wiseman and all these dudes with like top draft aspirations going to Memphis if like they all tried to like I'm not saying they're not trying but like if they got to be really good at basketball they would be so much fun because they would be such an anarchy team to the NCAA and you know we hate the NCAA over here and I've been saying for eight months Don't let the NCAA off the hook just because name, image, and likeness is a thing now. Like, the NCAA should not be let off the hook for what happened uh, over the past 40 years and the fact that the players should be getting money from the NCAA and from their schools. Like, they should be on salary and on staff. But anyways, point still stands. System's already in place. It'd be great if Memphis was good. I should have picked Memphis over Boise State because I forgot how many great players they had. In uh, Boise State is Boise State. Uh, all the Mountain West teams took a big L. Uh, sorry, Mountain West there. It looked like Gonzaga was going to be in trouble for a minute. Gonzaga was like tied with 10 minutes left in the game and still covered a 22-point spread, which is kind of hilarious because I sent a text to my brother that that's exactly what was going to happen. And the reason I knew that was going to happen is because usually in college basketball, and in any sport where there's just a total outmatching of the talent, The end of the game when everyone's tired is usually when the better teams pull away because talent is something you can lean on in tired moments. I say this and then Kentucky went from having a five-point lead against St. Peter's at the end of the day to getting absolutely drilled at the end of the game by St. Peter's and having St. Peter's beat them at the free throw line by eight free throws In overtime, eight goddamn free throws in overtime of that game, and St. Peter's gets to be the team that takes a big ol' l. I'm sorry, gives a big ol' l to Kentucky and John Calipari, who, by the way, like John Calipari. We talked to Blake Jude about this, and we're gonna clown him next week for that. But John Calipari was like getting calls of like, is he past his prime last year? And combined with the fact that like. Terrence Clark died right as he was leaving Kentucky, and Kentucky still just kept it moving after that, which of course is what you have to do as a corporation, because that's what the University of Kentucky is. It is a corporation that makes hundreds of millions of dollars. Maybe corporations a little too strong of a word, but they make hundreds of millions of dollars. The University of Kentucky just kind of had to keep it moving, and we didn't really talk much about it after the thoughts and prayers situation. And maybe that's just because we didn't know who Terrence Clark was. One, because Kentucky didn't make the tournament last year, but two, because we don't really get to know the players in college basketball on a national level the way we, the way that I, I've heard it's been in the nineteen. 19- 90s and 2000s, where like Christian Leitner and Vince Carter are still getting uh corona commercials during March Madness, like those are the national figures of college basketball, are still like guys from 20 30 years ago are still the ones getting the advertising campaigns for college basketball. And so, I think in that way, we kind of just kept it moving and didn't really talk about it much, but Kentucky. Getting bounced this year with a team that we didn't know the players. Like, it's not the one and done Kentucky team anymore, where they'll have some top guys, but overwhelmingly, the top prospects aren't going to Duke and Kentucky anymore. Like, obviously, Paulo is there at Duke and Chet is there at Gonzaga, and they're the closest things we have to like a traditional one and done this year. But obviously, there's the G League, Memphis, like we talked about with Amani Bates, has a bunch of people who have gone the one and done route which is why I think it would be awesome if they were good at basketball. Evan Mobley went to USC, Cade Cunningham, Oklahoma State, Michael Porter, Missouri, like obscure schools are getting one and done players because it's all about just getting through the one year of scrimmages and low-level competition just to cash out at the NBA level. And so Kentucky, with a team that didn't have a recognizable face or didn't have a top five pick everyone was talking about, gets bounced by St. Peter's, which is, you know, uh, St. Peter's on St. Patrick's Day. They had so many jokes on the internet about that one, and it was so freaking cool to see them pull the upset the way that they pulled the upset because 15s beating twos are awesome. Like, we fell in love with Max Abrams and Oral Roberts last year during that run, and they ended up going to the Sweet 16, actually. And maybe St. Peter's beats Murray State and or San Francisco Shocker. I'm you know, spoiler alert. I'm recording this in the middle of the Murray State San Francisco game. Murray State's winning, so like maybe it ends up being Murray State, but if St. Peter's keeps going on a run, maybe we'll fall in love with them the way we fell in love with Oral Roberts, and they'll be one of the ten two seeds that we remember forever, or you know, people who love the tournament like I do will remember forever like as a kid when in the ninth grade I picked Michigan State to win the championship. And they lost in the first round to Middle Tennessee State or last year with Oral Roberts or UMBC in 2018. Like, we'll remember St. Peter's in that way now. I think that the most interesting part about that is what it means for Kentucky. Because Kentucky, even without the star players, does have John Calipari. And I felt like we didn't really talk much about that situation as it went along. But the game was simple enough. Like, college basketball can be random and St. Peter's hit nine free throws in overtime and Kentucky hit one free throw in overtime and they lost by five points like once you get down to that it's like a coin flip which brings me to the other coin flip that ended up happening for myself which is my beloved of childhood I suppose I mean you know I didn't watch any games this year but beloved San Diego State Aztecs because the San Diego sports curse is well and live. it is well and alive, I've talked before about the San Diego sports curse, but it's, we are essentially Cleveland in San Diego, except our sports curse is more dark, because in our sports curse, all of your teams leave you, and all of the great players that you worship die, in San Diego, Junior Seau was the face of CTE, in the early 2010s committed suicide san diego hall of famer you know hall of famer jersey retired all that stuff greatest player of the 90s chargers 1994 chargers the only conference champion ever i believe like 15 players from that team have now died which is much higher than the death rate of 50 to 60 year olds um tony Gwynn, mr padre face of san diego sports dies as the face of chewing tobacco issues and chewing tobacco scandal and gets cancer from chewing tobacco um you know as it gets phased out of baseball he becomes the face of why you shouldn't chew chewing chew chewing tobacco um and the clippers leave the chargers leave padres are you know the worst franchise in baseball but record wise since their inception in 1969 they have the worst record in baseball over the last 50 years San Diego sports curse is dark, man, and San Diego State adds to the lore. They had Kawhi Leonard and lost in the round of 16 as a two-seed. San Diego State had a one-seed team and a six-seed team over the last two years. San Diego State won a combined 40, no wait, San Diego State won a combined 58 games over the last two seasons. They had a tournament get canceled for COVID and a loss in the first round to show for it. And this year, they were a team that wasn't necessarily as good as the last two years' teams, but they got an easy first-round matchup against Creighton. It's a toss-up game. They were up 14 in the second half, and they were up 9 with two and a half minutes to go. And what happened? Well, San Diego State scored 0 points the remainder of regulation, had multiple trips to the free-throw line, went 0 for 3, 1-1 and 1 with 6 seconds left, tie game, Missed the free throw. Go to overtime. Up by two. Give up a basket. And one. After the, or Sorry, they were up one, but they were up three earlier. Give up a basket. Go down. Turn the ball over. Step out of bounds. Give the ball back to Creighton. And they get an and one. And they go up two. And you turn the ball over. And you lose. Creighton led... Zero minutes and six seconds against San Diego State. They led six seconds the entire game. And the San Diego sports curse is well and live, people. Because San Diego sports can't have nice things ever. Ever. When the game was 62 60, in my mind, I said, we're going to lose this game. And I know that a lot of fan bases say that, like people who get really scared in sporting events say that, but in my mind I said, this is not going to go our way. What happened next? Trey Pulliam stepped out of bounds trying to break a trap. We gave the ball back to them. They missed a shot. We got the rebound. They stripped it. And they got the ball back and tied the game at 62, went to overtime, lose 71-69 heartache. Just pure, unadulterated heartache. Which is why I don't invest emotionally in San Diego sports the way I used to. Why? Because I don't get anything from it. I can be a miserable ret for 20 minutes talking about the San Diego sports curse and... It's better to laugh at it than actually be pissed about it because, again, I didn't watch any of the games this year. The only reason I know Trey Pulliam and Matt Bradley is because those were players who were on the team the past couple of years. Nathan Mensa too. Shout out Nathan Mensa. I don't really know the new players the way that I knew the old players for San Diego State. But even still, just brutal to invest emotionally in something that's going to bring so much heartache every single time san diego state was going to be a number two seed in march madness in 2020 tournament got canceled they were a six seed last year got smoked by buddy Bayheim. they couldn't even syracuse couldn't even sniff the tournament this year and they smoked san diego state last year just smoked them out of the building and creighton was down 14 points and led six seconds three years in a row just heartache 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 and san diego state does it every goddamn year We can go back further there. Like uh, They were the team, remember when Florida Gulf Coast? That's another 15 seed. Remember Florida Gulf Coast? People forget, second round game, they played seven seed San Diego State. San Diego State lost to 15 seed Florida Gulf Coast. San Diego State played Tennessee one year, took the L. One year they lost to Jalil Okafor, which no shame in losing to Jalil Okafor. That's going to happen sometimes. It's San Diego State basketball is like not even in the respectable camp there, and yet they still find ways to break your heart every goddamn time. Every goddamn time they play, they find a way to break your heart in the tournament. Just one run, one year, give us at least another Sweet 16. Just once. They did it twice, in fairness. Winston Shepard also went to the Sweet 16. They lost to Arizona that year. Just give us... Just give us something, man. The one time San Diego State or the one time San Diego Sports didn't do it to us, I got a noise complaint in my apartment because I was screaming when Fernando Tatis hit back-to-back home runs in back-to-back innings of a winner-go-home wild card game against the Cardinals. It's the only thing in my life that has ever been a monicum of success and not choking and people dying and teams leaving and you questioning your entire identity because you invest way too much in sports. But damn it if I don't love San Diego, and damn it if I ain't going to embrace being a loser, because I would rather root for the shitty Sacramento Kings than root for the champion Los Angeles Lakers. Because if I haven't embraced the identity of being a loser of a sports fan by this point, then I'm just going to be miserable for my entire life. Watching sports. I love San Diego. Sports are an easy way to attract to the place you come from because, as uh, I believe Ice Cube said, if you don't love the place that you come from, you're going to be miserable. San- sports are a great way to connect, and embracing being a loser means that you can't make it hurt when San Diego State blows a 14 point second half lead and doesn't score a single point in the final three minutes of a college basketball game in which they led the entire game, still get a chance in overtime, and still lose to goddamn Creighton. Rob Stone, you love the 619. Play your San Diego sports rap anthem. we got here oh New Mexico State let's finish with New Mexico State uh just you know clearing some things up Baylor kicked ass uh St. Mary's kicked ass against Indiana as they should St. Mary's that bracket might be kind of chaotic like now that Kentucky's gone like unless Baylor ends up going on a crazy run like that bracket can get kind of chaotic in the uh in the what is it the east region the bottom 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 left bracket the one that's got Baylor and UCLA and St. Mary's and Kentucky that that could be some chaos there. We could we could see some fun chaos there. By the way, UCLA's losing right now. Like if I come back later and UCLA's already lost, like take that and <laughs> add to it. Like that can be a chaos bracket. If you know, UCLA's down 5 right now. So I'm not saying like UCLA's going to lose, but UCLA loses, Kentucky loses on the first day of the tournament, like that could be a chaos bracket a little bit because it's not like people were believing in Baylor right before coming into this tournament. Okay. We got that out of the way. Tennessee also kicked ass today. Good for Tennessee. Shout out to you. Uh, Arkansas, Vermont, that game's going on right now. Uh, Arkansas's winning, so, you know, good on Arkansas. <laughs> Hopefully you do pretty well. Um, you know, Arkansas, find out what happened later. Check out, check your local listings. This feels like uh, printing a newspaper. We're like, I'm about to go to sleep, but I want to, uh, want to get this in right now. Arkansas is up on Vermont at halftime right now, so... They, you know, maybe they win. I assume they win. Uh, Anyways, um, New Mexico State. Shout out Juju Talk Sports. He is a New Mexico State alumnus. We talked uh, earlier today about New Mexico State, and they finally broke the drought. New Mexico State was a punchline for many, many years that they were always the basketball team that you picked to win as a 12 or 13 seed every year. They were always a 12 or 13 seed and you'd pick them to win every single year, and every single year, they would let you down. Every single year, they would lose. Every year, you'd pick them to pull an upset, and every year, they would lose. And New Mexico State finally won a game. They beat UConn, and it was a magical, wonderful victory for the New Mexico State Aggies. Because I want to go back and revisit the lore of new mexico state basketball new mexico state in 2007 when reggie theus was their coach and by the way reggie theus parlayed this into becoming the coach of the sacramento kings reggie theus took them to the first round of the tournament they were a 13 seed they lost in the first round 2010 they made it as a 12 seed to march madness lost in the first round 2012 they made it as a 13 seed. So this is now beginning in 2010, now 2012. 13 seed, lost in the first round. 2013, they made it a second year in a row, third time, uh, third time in four years. 13 seed, losing in the first round. 2014, three straight, four times in five years. 13 seed, lose in the first round. 2015, fourth straight tournament appearance. Four straight years they make it to March Madness. 15 seed, losing the first round. Then they missed the tournament in 2016 despite the fact that they went 13 and 1. They are also the school of Pascal Siakam, by the way. So Pascal Siakam is a North Dakota uh, I'm sorry, New Mexico State alumnus. It's a force of habit. This is usually college football. We're talking about the Dakotas. How the Dakotas are always good at football. But anyways, so they miss it in 2016 even though 2016 was the best of the new mexico state teams other than when we get to what's about to happen in 2019 and 2020 and 2021 but we'll get to that in a second 2017 make the tournament 14 seed losing the first round 2018 12 seed Losing the first round. I believe that year was Clemson. Because that was the year I picked them to go to the Sweet 16. They lose in the first round. 2019. They make it as a 12 seed. They play Auburn. Losing the first round. Auburn goes to the Final Four that year, by the way. 2020. 16-0 and in conference play. They went 16-0 and in conference play. Undefeated. Year gets canceled by the tur- by the COVID. Tournament gets canceled because of COVID. They probably would have lost in the first round anyways. Got canceled because of COVID. 2021, they had a down year. 2022, 12 seed, and they win in the first round. They made the tournament eight times in 10 years. And by the way, if it hadn't been for a COVID-19 year, they would have made it nine times in 11 years. 9 tournament appearances in 11 years. That is totally unprecedented for a mid-major team because the you're in a one-bid conference. Like you have to win your conference championship in order to make it to the tournament. And they did it every single year, year after year after year after year they kept winning the conference tournament my entire childhood because I've loved college basketball since 2009. I filled out a bracket every year since like the fourth grade. I used to put way too much emotional stability in this thing. And by the way, when I had computers in school, it was amazing. I saw Georgia State play Gonzaga today and I forgot that was the Ron Hunter school. Like, just so much nostalgia and fun comes out of March Madness. And it's why, like, even if I don't care about college basketball anymore, it's just so much nostalgia. And by the way, like how I could name eight teams in the A-10, I could probably name you most of the teams in the WAC. Because even as a child, I got all 32 teams and tried to play, like, tournaments in my backyard with all 32 of the teams. Because I just thought March Madness was the coolest shit in the world. The WAC has... Uh, multiple teams from Utah. The University of Seattle is there. Grand Canyon University. Uh, Stephen F. Austin is there now. Shout out Stephen F. Austin. I found that out this year. So they got Grand Canyon University, which is a whole lot of sports washing. I think when Grand Canyon made the tournament last year, like they flew a private jet to get people to the, the game like that. That school has like Ponzi scheme written all over it, but anyways, so you got Stephen F. Austin, you got Grand Canyon University, you got Seattle University, Utah has multiple teams there. One's Utah Valley, one's another Utah, I don't remember what it is. Kansas City has a team, University of Missouri, Kansas City plays in the WAC. Uh, I believe you've got a couple California teams in there, although I'm not hundred percent sure uh, I can get, I can get to, I think there's only nine teams in the WAC though. So WAC, con, how good did I do? Let's see. Utah Valley, a California Baptist Lutheran forgot about them. Of course, uh, of course, Dixie state. That's also one I forgot about there. Cal State University, Bakersfield forgot about Bakersfield. Got to get them. In the representation there. Uh, They also have the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley also participates in that conference. So we got all kinds of fun teams in the WAC. And the WAC also has Stephen F. Austin now. And they're about to add all the teams from the Southland Conference apparently. So you can add uh, Sam Houston State. You can add Seattle U. Looks like the Southland's about to dissolve. Rest in peace to the South or the Swack. It's either the Southland or the Swack, one of the two. Rest in peace to that conference, because looks like it's about to absorb with the Whack. Rest in peace. Uh, but New Mexico State, yeah, they made the tournament nine times in twelve years. They would have made it ten times in twelve years, or ten, twelve times in thirteen, ten times in thirteen years. They would have made it ten in thirteen years if not for. The March Madness getting canceled in 2020. They made 10 tournaments in 13 years. That's totally unprecedented in a one-bid conference. I'd argue New Mexico State, like Sands-Wichita State, who made a final four run, or Sands-VCU, who made a final four run, like they might be the most dominant mid-major basketball program that exists in the current landscape of college basketball. And they finally got that one tournament Victory, and I'm very, very happy for our friend Juju Talk Sports in New Mexico State. And that's day one of March Madness, people. That is all of day one of March Madness, unless, like, Kansas loses to Texas Southern, which is another lore team. Texas Southern finally won a first four game after they were the team that four times in five years was sentenced to play the first four as a 16 seed and they finally won one time and they get an actual tournament game with Johnny Jones. So hopefully they beat Kansas. I don't know what's going to happen right now because that game is just starting, but hopefully they pull off the upset. That is your March Madness recap of day one. With all kinds of fun stakes and storylines, and maybe I'm more excited than everyone else, but damn it, if I don't love these two days of the tournament as national holidays when I was a child, and I can always call back to nostalgia and fun childhood memories... In a childhood that wasn't all that fun, I can call back to fun childhood and nostalgic memories from March Madness. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. Be on the lookout for episodes this weekend. I'm not sure if it's going to be wired up or I'm not sure if it's going to be a recap of March Madness on Friday, but there will definitely be episodes this weekend. This is the weekend to drop podcasts. So, be on the lookout for more content coming at you this weekend. I love each and every one of you and appreciate all of the support that y'all continue to show. I hope you have a wonderful, fantabulous day. And as always, take it easy. I'll talk to you again tomorrow.